The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. R. Scott Clark. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Almighty God, we come before you, we come to you as our shepherd in Jesus Christ, the true shepherd of the sheep. We come as sheep, lost by nature, bruised, broken, and prone certainly to plunge ourselves into death and destruction. So we come to you, the shepherd, the true shepherd, who laid down his life for his sheep. Not that we might do our part, but because you did our part for us, and all that you did is credited to us. And even then, you graciously and sovereignly gave us new life and true faith and an open hand to receive freely all that you have done. And we receive that with grateful hearts and ask that you would graciously work in us more and more to conform us to your own image for your own name's sake and for your glory. Amen. You may be seated. This is not exactly a rerun, but I do want to go back and look at one verse that Professor Kim looked at last week, and that's 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Because this is such a rich passage, and, and I really want to meditate with you on three words, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, and, and because this is chapel and because time gets away so quickly, I'm just going to read the one verse, but we'll look at some other passages. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Well, we should look at, we should start maybe, some context maybe. So maybe start at verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul wrote these words to um, his problem congregation. This correspondence that we have is either one and three or two and four, nobody really knows, but it's part of a stream of correspondence. And we have 29 chapters of the New Testament devoted to one congregation. And if you read a little church history, if you read uh, First Clement, probably not written by Clement, but written to the Corinthian congregation late in the first, early in the second century, you can see that the very same problems that existed here in the middle of the first century continued to exist late in the first, early in the second century. And he went on at great length about the problems they were facing, division, immorality, all those sorts of things. So please, as you're going into pastoral ministry, take the long view. 
Because we're looking here already, we're looking at a congregation that was struggling with the same things 50 or 60 years after they received the inspired word of God from the Apostle Paul. You think of anything would sort out a congregation. Sometimes people bring in seminary profs and they say, would you talk about this? I'm really having trouble and we're supposed to go in and sort of like hired guns and fix everything with one message. The Apostle Paul wrote 29 chapters and it still didn't fix the Corinthian congregation. But they were still a congregation. Sanctification is slow, very slow, sometimes to us imperceptible, but God is gracious nonetheless. And he's defending the legitimacy of his ministry, which Professor Kim has already explained to you, so I won't dwell on that at all. But the three words on which I want to devote with you this morning are these, competent ministers, and then I guess the last one isn't a single word, but new covenant, competent ministers and new covenant, because they were questioning his competency. You haven't done what you said you were going to do. We don't trust you. We don't think you're entirely reliable. We're not sure that you're competent. You're not really what we sort of expect an apostle to be. They had sort of maybe a soul complex. You ever notice that, how people gravitate to tall people? As if there are no stupid tall people? No offense to tall people, but being tall is a qualification maybe to play power forward or center on a basketball team if you have some agility and you can catch the ball and pivot. Maybe it's a qualification for painting or clearing off cobwebs or something. But it's not an intrinsic qualification for ministry. So Paul has to defend his competency against people who are measuring competency with, by all the wrong standards. And he uses this very interesting word, hikanos. Uh, and of course, then there is this problem, as Paul himself notes, that he is, as he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he's already conceded to them, uh, that he is inherently unworthy or incompetent because he was a persecutor of the church of God. And so this is a problem that we have in ministry. You take up this ministerial call, people lay hands on you, right? You go to seminary, you sit your exams, you sustain your exams, and the church approves of you through a process of evaluation and observation. And then away you go. It's not as if you're on your own now exactly, but you know in and of yourself that you're not competent to do what you've been called to do. You know, or you should know, or you shall know, the greatness of your sin and misery, and you'll continue to learn the greatness of your sin and misery throughout your pastoral ministry, and you'll learn your own intrinsic inherent incompetence for ministry. Who am I to tell people how sinful they are? Does that not make me the biggest hypocrite in the world? And it does, quite honestly, make a fellow want to blush sometimes saying these things. Because you just hope that there are not cameras hidden in your home that are somehow, you know, the, the footage of which is going to make it up on the Internet. And tragically, it might well happen that way. Sometimes we just do it to ourselves voluntarily, don't we? Paul had asked, who is sufficient for these things already in 2 Corinthians 2, 16, indeed, who is Sufficient, But he, he begins, anyway, to answer this question in verse 5 
when he says that his sufficiency is not, I take it to mean, of himself, but our ministerial sufficiency, Paul says, is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. And part of this difficulty comes from the language about the new covenant that the prophet Jeremiah uses. If you look at, uh, if you can just listen, or you can look, as you will, at Jeremiah 31, because we're going to get there, we might as well read it now. Jeremiah 31, 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day. Now mark this well, please. Mark this well, please. This is crucial. This is essential. You really have to pay attention to get this. You can't read this passage and just assume you know how it's going to turn out. This is not a blog post where you can read the first seven words and then guess the rest of it. This is not Twitter. That I made with their fathers, when? On the day when I took them by the hand. When was that? To bring them out of the land of where? Egypt. All right, so you've got to get that. What kind of covenant? My covenant that they broke. We'll come back to that, but I want you to notice that. It's a breakable covenant. Even though I was their husband, even though I was gracious, he says, declares Yahweh. That's his covenant-making name, Yahweh. But this is the covenant, and here's the problem that Paul's facing that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one say to his neighbor, or, uh, and uh, each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, or know Yahweh, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares Yahweh, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no longer. How well does that describe you, the law written particularly on your heart, inwardly? Is it fully realized in you? Are you loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is, is it really the case you have literally no need for anyone to tell you, know the Lord? Maybe in a sense, but listen, here it is, according to my atomic clock, it's 10, 13 a.m., and we're gathered in chapel. Part of my function here is to say to you, know the Lord. So it must be that that this promise is not utterly and fully realized in all of us just yet. Because that's in the nature of Old Covenant prophecy, isn't it? What looks like, and we always do this when we talk about Jesus, but somehow when it comes to Jeremiah 31, we forget this principle, and we think that it all has to be realized fully now in this existence. Well, in other such prophecies, we understand that, that what looks like one big mountain turns out to be two, and there's some space in between those two mountains. And guess where we are? We're in that space in between those two mountains. And Paul's experiencing that. 
but still he knows by faith that our sufficiency, and the word there for sufficiency is, is uh, related to the word for competent that he had used above. My competence, my sufficiency is not of myself, it is of the Lord, and he is realizing in me gradually, graciously, progressively, those things that he promised in Jeremiah 31. And we're ministers, he says, of this new covenant. What does it mean to be a minister? That's a word we need to probably use more than we do. We tend to speak about pastors or shepherds. And then we, when I was a student, we talked about ranchers and the, the metaphors just got, and then CEOs. I love that one. CEO. I'm, 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 not, uh, I'm not really a, a, a pastor. I'm a, I'm a CEO. I'm, I'm sort of overseeing things, you see. I don't know why Jimmy Stewart shows up, but... <laughs> Jesus was not a CEO. Jesus was a servant who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's a servant. A minister is a servant. A minister is not somebody who overlooks things. A minister is somebody who is in the hospital with people while they're hacking up whatever it is, they're hacking up. Minister is in his people's houses and apartments. He's praying with them and being with them and catechizing children. That's a minister. According to Jesus, to serve him, if you just go back two verses from where I just quoted from Mark 10.45, to serve him, to be a servant, is fundamentally to die. The rancher metaphor, the CEO analogy, none of those really involve death. They are more about glory than they are about the cross. And so it's perhaps important to remind ourselves that Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. And riding in a fiat doesn't count as service. I had a fiat, not that big a deal. I wrote a fiat. That doesn't make me the servant of the servants of God. You can ride in a fiat, and if you go back home to a gold throne, that doesn't count. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. There's your model. Foxes have holes, birds have nests. The Son of Man has not where to lay his head. And when you are a pastor, you will understand that. Because there will be times when your congregation's unhappy with you, your elders are unhappy with you, and your wife's unhappy with you. You have nowhere to lay your head. I can't believe you said that. Ministry is the, by definition, is giving yourself to the other. And that other, let's be clear about that, is Christ and his church. When they lay hands on you, you work for Jesus. And they didn't like him, and they won't like you. And if you want to be liked, you are in the wrong business. 
That's just not what this is. This is ministry. They didn't like Paul. They probably won't stone you, but congregational meetings can go sideways very quickly. But they did stone Paul, and not metaphorically. Literally. And, and ministers of what, finally? Ministers of the new covenant. And it's so important. That's why I, I dwelt on that for just a moment. We are ministers of the new covenant. And he, what does he mean by that? He explains. Not of the letter. What does he mean by letter? He means Moses. When he says new, it's new relative to Moses. The letter here stands for Moses. As Moses stands for law. Not that there's no grace. I did not say there's no grace in Moses. Moses is an administration of the covenant of grace, but it's also an administration of the covenant of works. And here Paul is thinking about that aspect of the Mosaic Old Covenant. I'm not a minister of the old Mosaic letter, but I am a minister of the new Holy Spirit Covenant. The, the church wrestled with this for a very long time, and we struggled in part because when we saw letter and spirit, we read that to mean spirit and matter. And that made it very difficult for us to understand this language. But Calvin helps us a great deal, and he says, if you want to understand what this means, spirit stands for gospel, and letter stands for law. Now, it's, not, it's so there's a sense in which we could say, well, we are ministers of the law, we preach the law, but fundamentally we are ministers of the gospel is what he means. And, and what he's really trying to say here is that in contrast to the old covenant and in contrast to Moses, I, Paul, am a minister of the promise that God made, that Yahweh made through Jeremiah. That through my ministry of the gospel, the Holy Spirit is working in you those things that he promised through Jeremiah. And that in contrast to the 613 commandments, many of which had to do with our outward life, the Holy Spirit is transforming us internally through the gospel. We are ministers of the gospel fundamentally because, as he says here, the law, the letter, the law, the old covenant, in this sense, this breakable national legal covenant, that does not bring life. And it's so important that we get that because you, your temptation is going to be to fix the congregation by becoming a minister of the law. And I see this all the time. It's, it's not that we shouldn't preach the law. We must preach the law. If you don't do that, you're not a faithful minister. But it's not whether you preach the law. It's to what end and how you preach the law. You preach the law, first of all, to teach people the greatness of their sin and misery. And then you preach the law to help them to understand how they ought to live in light of all that Christ has done for us. But what makes you a minister truly in Paul's conception here is that you are a minister of the gospel, a servant of the gospel, committed, committed to announcing the good news that Jesus has done what Adam refused to do. Jesus has done what Israel could not do. Jesus is the Israel of God. He is the last Adam. He has fulfilled the conditions. He has met the terms of the covenant of works. He has made a covenant of grace. He's offered it freely to anyone. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Oh, Israel, Israel, how I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks. But you would not. Why won't you come? Softly and tenderly. Amen. That's what we're offering. A Savior who did it all and offers it freely. And all we do is receive with the open hand that the Holy Spirit has given us and by his grace respond in gratitude by seeking to serve him who first served us. Father, we're so grateful this morning for the good news that the gospel really is good news for us, that Jesus really did accomplish all that your law required. He really did meet the terms of the covenant and has made with us an unbreakable covenant that we ourselves cannot break because it is a covenant of grace and not a covenant of works. Oh Lord, shape our lives as those who have been initiated into and heirs of a covenant of grace. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. For the sake of the servant. Amen. Copyright 2015, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.